Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1099 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's show, I'm going to be speaking with Willie. Willie is someone who I've been trying to get on the podcast for years. You can follow him on Instagram at T1D Artist, and I think you're going to love this episode. Willie is 40 years old. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2003. He also has hypothyroidism, fibromyalgia, frozen shoulder, restless leg syndrome, and a little bit more. What he doesn't have is a bad attitude. Willie is who I think of when I think of hope. When you place your first order for AG1 with my link, you'll get five free travel packs and a free year supply of vitamin D. Drink AG1.com slash juicebox. Nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. Don't forget to save 40% off of your entire order at CozyEarth.com. All you have to do is use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. That's JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% at CozyEarth.com. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Dexcom. Dexcom Dexcom.com. Slash juicebox. Get the brand new Dexcom G7 with my link and get started today. Today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod and the Omnipod 5. Learn more and get started today at omnipod.com slash juicebox. My name is Willie, aka Willie Streets, aka the T1D artist, and it's been a long time coming. In the words of my iconic hero, Mr. Tupac Shakur, this is going to be the realest you ever heard. Oh, I'm ready for that. Excellent. Willie, how long have we been interacting online, do you think? For myself, it, I mean, it seems as though it's been a while. But when I go back and look at dates and whatnot, since 2020. Oh, that's a, that's a reasonable amount of time. It's almost the three full years, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so like right in the midst of the pan, the onset of the pandemic. Yeah. I, the, the podcast, you know, I, I hate to say, and I, you starting to hear people talk like this now, the further out we get from it is you don't want to say good things that came from COVID, but it really helped the podcast. You know, people were at home and, and I guess had time to consider their health and a lot of people found it and it, it kind of blossomed from there. It was doing well and it was growing kind of incrementally, but man, Right around 2020, 2021, it like, phew, like it took off. So yes, yeah, yeah. So it really helped me during that time. I'm glad we'll we'll talk about it for sure. How old are you? When were you diagnosed? I am 40 years old. I was diagnosed March 10th, 2003. 20 years. Yep. Were you about 21? 20 years, seven months, 20. Two days. You keep in track. <laughs> yes. Well, that's a long time ago. 20 years is a long time ago. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Were you expecting it? Was it in your family at all? When I got diagnosed uh, that March, I was not expecting it at all. Um, my dad was diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic of uh, 1995. 
Okay. So I was not expecting it at all. Um, I didn't know that I had any family history of diabetes. Well, type one, I had a large family history of type two. Um, I had actual two uncles that are in locals. Well, by my dad's uh, sisters that were diagnosed as type ones. Um, my mom's sister, my uncle Jonas, he's passed. He was a uh, type one diabetic also. So I knew a bit about it, but didn't know of any family history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was there, but not something people spoke about or did type two get more of the attention? It wasn't, it was there. People spoke about it, but I did not know there was a difference. Um, I just knew diabetes. Oh, I get it. And you're young too. I mean, your father's diagnosed, you're not maybe more than like eight or nine years old. So like you're a younger yeah. person at that yeah, point. Yeah, I, I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. From the beginning, like when he, during his diagnosis, like he showed us everything, like uh, his meter, how to use it, um, how to test. And it's crazy. I remember when he came home, it was like around Christmas and he showed us actually how to use his uh, meter and we all pricked our fingers to see what our blood sugars were. And I don't even remember changing the, uh, the Lancet. Like we all just checked. Passed it around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he was pretty open about it then. He was. Yeah. Is it a thing that you remember him working at? So my dad was always a bigger guy. So he was always working on his health. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was big into what was it, QVC, Home Shopping Club, all those things. So they would buy all types of gadgets, uh, ab rollers, um, ab lounges, all of those things. And he would work on his his body, his weight and things of that nature. But um, his diabetes, when he was actually diagnosed, uh, he did not work on that. And he, he says it today because he makes sure him and my mom make sure that my health is at the most optimal level because he's had many complications over the years. Yeah. Uh, it's such a shame that even, even 20 years ago, what, what was really known about it and even the medications that are available now that weren't available. I mean, you, you look at that story and you bring it to present day and you think, Oh, he takes Ozempic. He probably drops all that weight and his A1C mm-hmm. goes down and you know, he's, he's doing better in, in a year. It's, it's something. How old is he now? How old are your parents? My dad just turned 66 and my mom will be 64 in December. I mean, it sounds like at the very least he, he laid down a foundation for you and then took it more seriously. Isn't it interesting? It's easier to help somebody else than it is to help yourself a lot of the times. Right. My dad. Yeah. He he really took it serious because I mean, it's because of him that I believe my life was saved upon my own diagnosis. Tell me a little bit about it. What do you recall from the time that you were diagnosed? Let me take you down this this tunnel. So uh, a lot of people, when they speak about their diagnosis, um, it's usually some kind of like a physical ailment um, that occurs, um, whether it's uh, sickness, virus, things of that nature. But uh, for me, it was more of a traumatic experience, more emotional. and. 2003, my parents were going through a lot. My dad and my mom was on the brink of separation because my dad was out here in the streets doing him. And my parents actually lost their home. Like, I remember that day, there was a sheriff's note on the door. My older brother 
he's six years older than me. He went and got the U-Haul truck, packed the U-Haul truck. We went and put everything in storage. We were staying at a motel. It was a travel lodge. My parents were staying in one room. Me and my my younger brother, who's three years younger than me, were staying in another room. I remember during that, we were there for about three weeks. And me and my younger brother, we would like do whatever to uplift each other. Because, I mean, that's my heart. That's my that's my best friend always. And we would go to like this bowlerama and play bowl, uh, play uh, shoot, shoot pool and bowl and things of that nature. And about two weeks later, my parents had got a house. Well, it was an apartment. And that first week there, that that first week there, I don't know what occurred, but I remember not being able to sleep and continuously having to get up and go to the bathroom repetitively, repetitively. And there was a McDonald's that was down the street. And I would walk to that McDonald's and fill up these big cups of lemonade. And I've spoken to other type ones recently. And they were like, you had that lemonade craving also? And I'm like, I did not know that was a thing. They said that it's something with the citric acid. I'm kidding. I've never heard that before either. That's interesting. Yeah, there's something with lemonade, vinegar, all of those things. Like, people crave it. After a few days of not being able to sleep and going to the bathroom repetitively and drinking gallons of water on end. Like I remember sleeping in the bathroom on the floor because I knew that I would have to get up and go back to the, like having to go back to the bathroom after going and laying in the bed. And my dad worked overnight. And I remember one morning, it was like seven o'clock in the morning and he was sitting on the couch so my parents had made made men's my men's by then, like they were all good. And I walked into the living room and I said, I don't feel good. He's like, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. Like, I can't stop using the bathroom. I really I said, I can't stop using the bathroom. I'm so thirsty. I feel so dehydrated, like my body's drained. And he looked me straight in the eyes and said, You're a diabetic. Mm, he recognized that from his life. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he he recognized it. I said to him, like, I just need to go to the hospital. So he told me, grab my stuff. My parents don't drive. They've never driven. I mean, we lived in the city, always caught public transportation. Mm -hmm. We're not. So we hopped on the bus, went to the local um, hospital. Um, Scott, I'm going to mention where I'm from. So I'm from Wilmington, Mm -hmm. Delaware. I know we got a connection with Delaware. Yeah, I, I could tell by your um, area code when you signed up to be on the, I knew where you were from that. Yeah, yeah. Right, so I, I, I know about your connection with University yeah. of Delaware. Yeah, my wife, my wife got her <laughs> yeah. undergrad there. I spent a lot of time in Delaware. Yes, yes, yes. So we went to a local hospital, St. Francis, a small hospital, small private hospital. And before diagnosis, I was big into my physical well-being. I followed this routine by a a former great Philadelphia running back where he would do 1,200 sit-ups and 2,100 push-ups per day. And that was me. I would do that. Hey, are you talking about Herschel? Yeah. You know it. I know. (laughs) Yeah, he used to be my guy. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I followed that routine and I was, I was fit like, uh, I mean, I'm a little under six feet tall, 180 pounds. 
And when I got into that hospital, the first thing they asked me to do was step on the scale. When I stepped on that scale, I weighed 144 wow. pounds and my heart just sunk. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of weight. Yeah. And I could picture my dad sitting in the chair with his hands like on his face. Like heartbroken. And yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Like I'm his junior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even like we've had a bunch of problems growing up as, you know, boys and their fathers mm-hmm. do. I could, I knew that his heart was broken. His soul was probably broken. But yeah, that was the day I was diagnosed a um, couple years ago. So right before the pandemic started. So that fe- February 2020, I actually contacted St. Francis Hospital because I didn't have, my parents didn't have any paperwork. I didn't have any paperwork on the grounds of uh, my diagnosis. So I contacted them and they told me that they get rid of medical records after 10 years. Uh, they don't have to keep them, but they do keep the intake and discharge papers. So I uh, emailed them and faxed them and they were like, yeah, sure. Come and come and get them. So I went and got them. And on there, it says uh, like it tells about my diagnosis. It was like, oh, he's been diagnosed as type one diabetic. My blood sugar, it said it read the max reading, which was 499. I guess the meters they had didn't yeah. go past that. My A1C was at a 14.7. Wow. And Willie, you think that the the stress of your getting out of your home and your parents fighting and all that stuff, you feel like that was part of what brought it on? I do. Um, I, yeah, that, that stress. And being a type 1 diabetic for the amount of time that I have been, I do know that certain things uh, such as stress, uh, hormonal imbalances and changes do alter your blood sugar. So I do believe that it pushed forward my diagnosis. No, I, I, I believe that as well. Do you think, uh, did you, you have two, did you say two brothers, right? Older and younger? Yeah. Yes. Two brothers and a sister. We're all three years apart. 77, 80, 83, wow. 86. Um, well, that's a spread. Do they have any issues, any autoimmune stuff at all? They do not. Um, my younger brother, I keep telling him he uh, he should go get checked. He always has stomach issues, gut issues. And he, a few years ago, he was like, I know what it is. I just think that um, I'm sensitive to dairy. So he's been popping these little dairy tablets <laughs> all nonstop. And I'm like, you should go get yeah. checked. Because like I know now that um, like I have an aunt was diagnosed with um an irritable bowel disease uh mm-hmm. colitis when she was a child and just recently she got her thyroid removed she has hypothyroidism right. i have this is all on my mom's side i have two aunts with rheumatoid arthritis yeah there's a fair amount um, that's so a fair I, amount of autoimmune the ibs and the the, the ra maybe your brother's got celiac or a digestion yeah. issue or something to that effect right yeah wow. yeah I've, I've told him he, he should go get checked out but he's like people don't listen i'm yeah, all right uh, no, yeah they don't you, you know how it goes. that's why i gotta trick you with this podcast and make it silly and stupid so you'll listen about your diabetes <laughs> because it is right. it's just tough right. man nobody you know sometimes people think they have it figured out and sometimes they don't want to hear the news so you know i thought i had it figured out until the pandemic really everything was cool to me i mean i i suffer from 
hypoglycemia unawareness. I mean, I've, I've, I've had many episodes of EMTs, EMS at my doorstep waking me up. I remember a paramedic telling me that it was normal. That's because he sees it so much, too, probably. Yeah, right. He, he said I, he said I see it all the time. He said at least it's not happening every day. He said, I got a guy down the street. I'm at his door like every day or every other day. Sure. Uh, it really is. Well, that's a long time between your diagnosis and pandemic time. So how were you living through that? And you said you felt like you had it figured out. What did that look like to you? And when did you realize it wasn't? Today's episode of the Juice Box podcast is sponsored by Omnipod. And before I tell you about Omnipod, the device, I'd like to tell you about Omnipod, the company. I approached Omnipod in 2015 and asked them to buy an ad on a podcast that I hadn't even begun to make yet. Because the podcast didn't have any listeners, all I could promise them was that I was going to try to help people living with type 1 diabetes. And that was enough for Omnipod. They bought their first ad. And I used that money to support myself while I was growing the Juicebox podcast. You might even say that Omnipod is the firm foundation of the Juicebox podcast. And it's actually the firm foundation of how my daughter manages her type 1 diabetes every day. Omnipod.com slash juicebox. Whether you want the Omnipod 5 or the Omnipod Dash, using my link lets Omnipod know what a good decision they made in 2015 and continue to make to this day. Omnipod is easy to use, easy to fill, easy to wear. And I know that because my daughter has been wearing one every day since she was four years old. And she will be 20 this year. There is not enough time in an ad for me to tell you everything that I know about Omnipod, but please take a look. Omnipod.com slash juicebox. I think Omnipod could be a good friend to you, just like it has been to my daughter and my family. Having it figured out for me was more so take your insulin. As long as you feel okay, you're good. That's how it was for me for too many years, many years. I just did not know. I wasn't given the education, the resources, the guidance, the support that I know is needed to live your best life. I, I, it was like it was skipped. Like even going back to 2003 and my diagnosis, like looking at the discharge papers, it actually says on there that they're not sending me home with a meter because my dad has an AccuCheck meter at home. Good enough. You got one. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. As long as he had his AccuCheck meter, I was okay. Boy, that's interesting. Right. Now, companies are, they give them away like candy, you know? <laughs> and here, take a meter. And that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. Um, Willie, basically, if you're alive, and the guy in the rescue squad tells you, it's all right, you don't pass out as much as the guy up the street, you figure, this is what this is, and I'm looking forward, and I'm standing up, so I'm doing okay. Yeah. Right. I was not doing okay. Mm -hmm. And I hope that today, the things that I wasn't given or gifted don't come back to haunt me now, because those, I mean, Scott, like literally, there was 15 years in between that time where for the first six or yeah, six years before I got my current general practitioner, 
I was on a routine of just giving 70, 30 mixed insulin, 30 units before breakfast, 15 units before um, dinner. And then probably a, a year or so later, I realized like I needed more insulin because my blood sugar was rising. So I would just manually inject that like insulin whenever I felt high. And that created me having so many overnight lows. Like I I think it was 2005, 2004-ish, a girl who I used to date, I was at her house and I woke up in the bathroom like half naked with blood all over the place, EMTs. I had bit off half my tongue. Oh my gosh. From a low. Yeah. I mean, you were using regular and MPH for 15 years? Not for 15 years. No. So I was, I was using that from 2003 until 2009. Okay. Around that time. Yes. And when I met my general practitioner, he looked at me and said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? He said, we have to get you a basal and a bolus insulin immediately. And he did ran A1C checks because Scott, during this time, I didn't, I didn't, get my A1C check. I was wondering that. Okay. I I didn't at all because I was seeing my dad's doctor and my dad had an issue with him. So I had an issue with him. Hmm. And like, I remember going in with my dad and him saying things like telling my dad how bad he was doing and my dad cussing him out because my dad is no holes barred. Mm-hmm. Like really, like my dad telling him like, F you, you're not going to be saying this to me and whatnot. So I didn't want to see him. I only used him for my script. Yeah. And yeah, that I was using that for all that time. So I, uh, like, I truly hope, and I tell my wife this, that the things like the education I wasn't given doesn't come back to haunt me. Like really. But you got six, I mean, you have six tough years in there, but you were, you were using the insulin though, right? I, I was using it. Yeah. And you added more when you knew your, your blood sugar was high and it led to lows overnight, but at least it was in there and it was doing something. Right. Yeah. And when they finally check your A1C, which I'm guessing is right in your like, you're around 26 or 27 in that age group right there. Correct. What what Correct. was it? You remember? Uh, my The first one was, uh, I think it was a 10 point something. Like, I think it was like a 10.3, somewhere around that. Mm-hmm. So that showed that I was running in that range for all those years. Likely. Yeah. yeah. Did the fast acting insulin bring that down? Yes. So I remember getting it down to the eights. And then I remember being like around 7.5 for a few years. Then in 2017, 2018, I was down to about 6.7. And from that moment on, like I looked at it and I started learning more about insulin and I've been able to keep it between 5.1 to 5.6 for since that time. So since about 2018, 2019, my blood sugar has been, my glucose levels have, my A1C has been between 5.1 and 5.6. It has not been above 5.6. And that's well done. Good for you. Were there a lot of lows in there while you were figuring it out? Yes, there were. Mm. I had an incident where um, I was at work in 2015. So I did like, I worked at for a big um, retail company in the shipping, receiving, merchandising, support 
system. And one day I was out moving something, some kind of fixture. And my body just started jittering, like out the, like I didn't feel it coming on. Mm -hmm. I've always been hypoglycemic unaware. And I don't know if that's because of how I was using that, that insulin before that MPH and regular. Yeah. And all of us, next thing I know, I'm on the floor, like no down and I'm shaking. And one of the managers who's working with me, he looks at me, he's like, well, are you all right? You're right. And I'm like, I'm not able to talk. And next thing I know, the paramedics are there. This was yeah, around 2015 mm-hmm. because m- my wife and I worked at the same place. That's where we met. And I remember her meeting me there at the job because she was home on maternity leave at the time. And then them taking me to that same hospital, St. Francis Hospital. Yeah, it was it was it was hard. And, well, and you have a Dexcom now, I hear it. So, yep, yep, you heard it because my adrenaline. Uh, yeah, are you nervous? I, I'm not nervous. No. See, Scott, it's crazy. My daughter, she's in seventh grade and she plays basketball. So, at a basketball game, I can enter at 87. And I didn't realize this until last year that I could sit there calm and poised. But within half an hour, my blood sugar can go up 50 to 60 points. <laughs> so I was setting temp basils for her basketball games. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. Listen, but, I I was sitting at Cole's baseball game one day, and he hit a ball in a gap, and I was screaming. And when it was over, I thought I'm going to have a heart attack watching these baseball games. <laughs> look, look, so look, I will go. So uh, I started going into her ba- basketball games and like doing a, like a peaceful meditation first. <laughs> like, hell, you got this. Did, did it work? Where the temp basil worked. The temp basil worked. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a mental thing. Yeah. So no. yeah. Um I I had another incident at work where I felt my blood sugar dropping. Like I started getting like real like um jittery. That's what I always call it. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking to the break room to try to get a drink. I'm dropping everything. So I end up getting uh, like iced tea and some peanut butter crackers and I go and sit down. And next thing I know, I see someone running over to me. They're like, well, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just trying to eat these crackers. I'm just trying to eat these crackers. And they're like, it looks like you're about to have a seizure. So they're taking the crackers from me. They're like, you can't eat if you're having a seizure. I'm like, I need these crackers. I need these crackers. (laughs) And they're trying to take them from me. Like, it was crazy. So next thing you know, there there comes the EMT again. (laughs) I was going to say, so you call it jittery. Have you heard Arden? Um describe how it felt like she was phasing in and out right i have yeah is that similar for you yes 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 i was thinking about this last night i recently heard a a episode where a young lady was um talking about a out-of-body experience Mm -hmm. and i have felt those out-of-body experiences um not in the sense of like I know she she was talking about like seeing weird things, thinking her parents were doing crazy things to her or whatnot, but um more so like with the jittery feelings, like it's like I can't control myself, but my brain is trying to control what I'm doing, but my hands are moving a different way, my legs are shaking, uh my eyes are twitching, but my mind is saying, You got this, Will, you got this. Mm. Because every time the um uh, my wife has found me in the kitchen spilling glasses of juice or whatnot over the years. 
She's like, you always tell me you're okay. You always say, I got this. And she says, I know when you say, I got this, that means, oh, hell no. I got it's this. All, like, <laughs> and I, I said, I said, thank you. I said, just know I never got this. <laughs> be, be 100% sure. I don't know what's yeah, going yeah. on at that point. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you carrying glucagon nowadays? The Dexcom G7 is sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast, and it features a lightning fast 30-minute warm-up time. That's right. From the time you put on the Dexcom G7 till the time you're getting readings, 30 minutes. That's pretty great. It also has a 12-hour grace period, so you can swap your sensor when it's convenient for you. All that on top of it being small, accurate, incredibly wearable, and light. These things, in my opinion, make the Dexcom G7 a no-brainer. The Dexcom G7 comes with way more than just this. Up to 10 people can follow you. You can use it with type 1, type 2, or gestational diabetes. It's covered by all sorts of insurances. And uh, this might be the best part. It might be the best part. Alerts and alarms that are customizable so that you can be alerted at the levels that make sense to you. Dexcom.com slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Dexcom and all the sponsors. When you use my links, you're supporting the production of the podcast and helping to keep it free and plentiful. Yes, Good. yes, I, I do. Good. I carry glucagon. Um, I do not leave the house without something on me, a uh, fast act, fast acting core, um, even something with protein to stabilize it as it as it, once it does rise. Good for you. Yeah. Hey, the lows, are they as frequent now as they used to be, or is that a thing from the past? That's a thing of the past, like okay. truly a thing of the past. So um, currently, like um, my time and range is always between like 91, 94 percent. Like, I use Omnipod 5, but I um, I recently, because of uh, insurance issue, I went back to using the original Omnipod Aero system. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the same. Like, I thought I was going to have this huge, like brain fart going back to using that but it's the same everything's good but uh, yeah i don't have those lows as frequent at all okay i still don't feel them much when they're coming on i mean you're using better insulin you know how to use it better now so yeah and you've got a cgm there's a lot of advancements here for you really yeah so yeah i was because i was using lances from that initial visit with my doctor 2009 Mm -hmm. until 2021. Oh, okay. Yeah. Lantis and Humalog or Novalog. And what do you use so, now? So, because of the honorable Scott Benner, the man behind the scene, the myth, the legend, I use Omnipod and Dexcom. I did not know of this technology before the podcast. Before the podcast, like I did not. I, I mean, I've heard of people wearing insulin pumps. My doctor offered me a freestyle Libre in 2017, mm-hmm. but he never, he just told me, like, this is this seven to 14 day thing you can wear to, and it manages your, or you can check your blood sugar. Yeah. I was like, okay, um, I checked about 20 times a day with finger sticks. So yeah, that'd be better. <laughs> it, right. Right. So yeah, the podcast told me that. I have to ask you a question. I hope it's not uncomfortable. I'm comfortable in my skin. Uh, well, I appreciate that. And I don't know, you are such a lovely person and you are so 
connected to how other people feel and giving of your time online and your desire to help other people. I, I'm just wondering where that comes from. Where does it come from? Scott, I've always had a heart and I've always had a heart to heal. Where that comes from, my parents don't even know where it comes from. Mm. But they said since I was a kid, I've always been like that. Like with my friends, I remember sticking up for them. Like when there were bullies, me always hopping in and be like, like if you want to mess with them, you got to mess with me. I've always been that person, whether it was in school and work. I've always stuck up for the whether it was the less fortunate, the smaller person, whoever, mm-hmm. because I've never I've never had a fear of man. I remember I used to tell people that my dad is six foot, 300 pounds. If I'm not afraid of him, why would I be afraid of you? So like I've had that thought a couple of times in my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you and, stand there and you're like, I could take it. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Right. Like it's nothing. It's just you're just a man. You're yeah. mere, mere, mere mortal. But that idea, though, that like being a guy in this space, there are not a lot of them to begin with. Yeah, there are not a lot of men. And let's let's be honest, like there's there's not a lot of black people in general talking about their diabetes online. And as a matter of fact, I, I was in Austin last weekend giving a talk, and this young lady in the back, she posed that question to me. She said, The podcast is great. Look at all these people here, and you can see how they're helping. What do you do to reach the people who aren't in this room? And I knew what she meant. I answered her for a while because it's something I've thought about for years and I've tried. But I don't know, like, I can't seem to break whatever that wall is. And and that's why you're kind of a unicorn to me. So, Scott, me being a black man who's always been about his business, always about his family, all about God and protecting. I take that with everything I do. It's not just, like I said, in school, but every aspect of my life is using my heart first. Mm-hmm. It's crazy mm-hmm. because. In the DOC diabetic online community, when I first got on like Instagram, I searched for type one diabetics and I found many of them. And now everyone comes to me for like, they say I'm like their online therapist. And I tell everyone, seriously, I'm like, if I can't help you, guide you, give you to get the educational resources you need, then I don't know who can. Because I take it upon myself to try to embody who you are. It's a great form of empathy so that I can navigate the things that you need. Mm -hmm. Like I have a cousin who's also a type one diabetic. I didn't realize this until more recently that she was a type one diabetic because we haven't spoken much over the years. Like me and her brothers grew up like brothers. Like we did everything together, but she's their baby sister who she's maybe 10, 14 years younger. I think she's 26, 27, somewhere around there than the youngest brother. So we didn't grow up that close. Right. And she was diagnosed at 12 years old. She came to me in 2019. They live in North Carolina now. They moved there a few years ago. And she was asking me if I had any 70, 30 insulin because she had broke her pen or something. And I'm like, 
she doesn't mind me using her name. I'm like, Khadija, you're still using that 7030? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'm like, you need a regular. I mean, I, I said, you need a basil and a bolus. She didn't know what that was. Right, right. So since then, like, I've been helping her because she's she may be a little older than that, 27, 28. And she's had the most complications I've come across for someone so young. Mm. Like she, it started off, she told me that she had neuropathy in her foot. And like I said, Scott, like this is going to be the, the realest yeah. you ever yeah, heard. 20s. So she got neuropathy in her foot because she actually got shot in her foot. And when she got shot in her foot, they didn't get out the... They weren't able to take out all the fragments okay. of the bullet and her bones was crushed and her foot's never healed. Like her foot's been broken for about six or seven years now. Jesus. And she has minimal movement in it. Like it's swollen. She has that. She has retinopathy. She did not know she had retinopathy two years ago. She, well, her dad had told me, he was like, um, you need to talk to Khadija because they said she's going blind. So I called her and she was like, yeah, they said my left eye is completely blind. It's blocked. I can't see out of it. So I told her, I said, um, I reached out to people that I know online. When it comes to diabetes, there's like I can reach everyone. Like I am a very communicable guy. Like it's easy to approach me. Yeah. And I will take my time to write down the things that you're going through and reach out to the whoever or whomever you need to help better your, your, your existence. You're acting as a bridge for people who don't know how to get to the doctors and the information and the technology. You're actually, and you know why? Yeah. Because I didn't have that. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I didn't have that. We kind of glossed over it before, before you go on, you talked about having to embody the person that you're dealing with and really feel what what's happening to them so that you can actually help them. That's a, right. yeah, that's, it's very important. Like, it, and it's hard too. It, do you find it hard on you? Cause I do it. And there are times it's hard on me. I mean, you and I've been talking for 40 minutes. I've almost cried twice while you were talking, just when you were celebrating like successes in your, in your life. It's not hard for me. It's not, hard. I, I, I actually love it. Okay. Like you hear about people who hate diabetes all the time. I absolutely love it. And you're not going to hear that often because the reason I love it is because it, it gives me the opportunity to help other people, heal other people. Like it gives me, I, I don't, it just feels so good to me. Mm -hmm. And I tell people that every day, if I check my inbox on like Instagram, I'm pretty sure I got 20 messages right now. Yeah. Like I've created communities I have one community. Um, it's just Philly region, Dia Crew. That's what I call my communities, the Dia Crew. And it, we're about 65 deep. Um, I have one that's all people of color, uh, different origins. That's 80 plus. I created one in the Atlanta area because I had a young lady who reached out, me, reached out to me in the summertime. She didn't have insulin. Uh, so I went and searched for people in the Atlanta area and created a group for them. Yeah, I, I do that because there was a point in time when I didn't have that, where I had to find out how I was going to get insulin, mm -hmm. join 
different programs such as 340B prescription program, uh, join different medical clinics, things of that nature. And, and like when I hear people talk about how they they're they're scared that they're going to lose their insurance and stuff, I'm I'm never afraid of losing my insurance because I know the different resources and how to how to navigate them. I'm always okay. Right. 340B Solutions Pharmacy Benefits. I'm I'm looking into what it is right now. Can you explain it to me? So with the 340B program, if you have a community um, health clinic, they're more so for people who um, re- meet under certain uh, FPL, federal poverty levels. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to that clinic and that clinic is linked with a pharmacy such as Walgreens, CVS, and it gives discounted prescriptions. Okay persons who are in need and you know how to get that's what you're saying is you know how to get to that so you're comfortable and you're teaching other people how to get to it as well and creating communities by the way next year i might do a little tour sponsored by a company um of like in-person talks so if i can actually make that happen i'll contact you about doing one in philly yes sir let's let's make it happen i i have events coming up this week next week in philly do you really um for um the pair die film. I have a event coming up on November the 14th at the end theater where like I reached out to someone and was like, I want to do this because I wanted to host an event T1D plus love, which means it's type one diabetics plus people who they love people mm-hmm. who mean everything to them, people who should know. So we're I'm hosting that event and you bring your people are bringing their significant others, uh, partners, family members, so that they can sit down and learn more. Willie, you're the, you're the answer to a question that I've watched people ask over and over again. So I'll, I'll share some behind the scenes stuff here. What's, what's that question? I'll share some behind the scenes stuff here in like the diabetes space when you talk about companies and, and stuff like that. I've watched, and you've probably seen this too, about once a year, they get it into their head that they are going to you, you've seen it. They're going to help black people, right? And they start right. a push and it never goes anywhere and then they let it go. And I've watched it happen time and time again over the years. And just not six weeks ago, I was on a call with somebody and she says to me, oh, we have a big initiative coming up. We're going to really reach out to the black, the black and brown community. And I, I laughed at her. I was like, you're doing this again? Mm-hmm. Like, again. I might, because you keep doing it the same way and it keeps not reaching people. And and I mean, not for nothing between you and me, what it feels like is a bunch of like, I don't know another way to say this. It feels like a bunch of white ladies trying to help and they don't know what to do. They want to help and they have great intentions and they have resources, but they don't know how to reach people. And I think once they reach them, the people they're reaching might look up and think, you know, I'd be more comfortable if this was Willie reaching out to me. That's the thing I don't understand. I don't understand why they never find a person like you to spearhead this kind of stuff. Because that makes sense to me. Because I feel like with some resources, I mean, look what you're doing by yourself. You know, like, I feel like with some resources, you could really, like, get that movement moving. Like, that girl talking to me last weekend, I'm not going to be the one to do it. Like, you're a unicorn, Willie, that you listen to my podcast. Seriously. And now, and when you were saying that about the girl, all I'm doing is I got this Rolodex in my, in my head. And I'm trying to, I'm thinking like, do I know who that you is? You probably know who because she is, I, right? Yeah. Look, <laughs> because I know people in the Austin area. Mm-hmm. 
that whole Dallas Fort Worth area. I'm, like I know people all over, right, all over the world, Scott. Yeah, no, I mean, man, listen, I've cracked a couple of social circles I didn't expect to. The podcast is big in India. I didn't expect that one, and it actually does pretty well in sort of the United Arab Emirates, like that part of the country as well. Like, there's places where I I've found different cultures and they've they've jived with the podcast. But I don't make inroads in the black community. I, I just don't. Right. And I can't. I mean, I'm just me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm doing the thing I do and it, it hits the people it hits. But I've, I've tried having guys on. I've tried having women on. You know, I'm not usually a person who points out the color of your skin while you're talking. So there's been mm-hmm. a number of people on here. I've, I've never mentioned it, like, as we're going. But I bring it up with you specifically because you are so adept at gathering people together and getting them good information. You know, I think it was during, yeah, during the beginning of the pandemic, I'm very great with dates. Sorry. Um, I was diagnosed with something called uh, Hassel when I was younger, highly superior autobiographical memory. Really? So I believe it was August 2020. And you had a guest. It was like August, September. Cameron. Oh, Cameron. Yeah, he was terrific. So Cameron's a, a, a great friend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we formed, we, we, we began the die crew together. You had a, you were talking to him about those types of things. Uh, I recall going on a hell of a rant when I was talking to Cameron. I, and, and yes, you did. <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah. I remember feeling bad when it was over. I was like, oh, man, I, I talked to but, but um, it was needed. That's what I always tell people. Yeah. Our voices are needed. Yeah. They're not just saying they want to be helpful. I talk to them. I know them personally, some of them. They really do. It, they're not just trying to look like they're doing something. They really, when it doesn't work, they're defeated. Like, they really want it to work. But I just don't see how a 45-year-old white lady who lives on the main line is going to reach, you know, somebody in somewhere else who they don't have anything culturally, you know, in common. Nothing. I don't know. I just, I wish one of them would just see somebody like you and say, this is the person. Like, we need to hire this person and let them do the thing that they're already doing and just support it instead of trying to do it themselves when, when they know damn well it's not going to work, you know? Right, because when they when they do reach me, I try to help them as much as I can. Yeah. So, like, even a few weeks ago, I had a young lady from uh, University of Chicago reach me about a research study they're going on. They're doing with uh, T1Ds, uh, black T1Ds, and they couldn't really find anyone. Yeah, it's hard. So someone had someone had sent her my way. I told her, I said, I'm willing to help. And I, I said, I have a community that I'm willing to share the information with. Mm-hmm. So we, we did like a 45 minute conversation and they just wanted to know how to reach people. But not, and, I, and I told them, I'm the guy, I'm the link. Yeah, no, I, a million percent. I believe it completely. Is, is it cultural? Why can't they find people? I wouldn't say cultural, but I know for a fact that when we say the word diabetes, it gets ignored. It's not like many people say it's the sugar. Everyone, like yeah. people, you, you get the sugars. It's more so any disease, any chronic illness is hidden from. Like my dad has stage five kidney disease. Mm. And I've been advocating for him my younger brother has signed up uh, to actually give him his kidney, but my dad is, he has to go through all these, like what I consider like pre prerequisites to make sure that uh, everything is good because he's getting older. Right. 
And I remember telling him to reach out to his nieces, nephews, everyone, because like they're very close. But he's like, no, I'm not going to do that because they're not going to help me. I know they're not going to help me. And we hear that often. I don't know if it's because of uh, the things that we've been through as a community, as people, that because of these things that when it comes to things such as health, we don't speak about them. Are you saying that a quiet struggle is a is a learned response? Yes. Yeah. So if someone asks for money for a bill, like I, someone say, I can't pay my, my electric bill. Someone will be like, OK, here are the resources for it mm-hmm. or I can help you or whatnot. But that same person, if they are in need of, like I said, like a kidney or whatever, they won't reach out to those resources, those people, yeah. those family members, those friends. And it's it's crazy. Like, I, I don't understand why. Well, that's even a severe example. Like, I'm I'm just talking about knowing that your health isn't optimal and how can I, is there a way for me to fix this? But you know what, that also, this is, it's also a little silly to talk about it in this light because there are uh, plenty of white people who don't know that their, that their health could be better either. It, it's, it, it starts with your doctor having the knowledge and passing it to you and giving you the idea that there's better out there, I can go find it. And I, the truth is, I don't think many physicians are in that position right. and do that. It's, it's, you know, it's sad, but how is that not the case? Like, how is everyone walking in? I mean, look, you had a 10.3, an 8, a 7.5. You know, no one ever says to you, hey, you know, geez, if your A1C is 10, maybe do this. But, you know, you got one doctor who said, use, use better insulin. That's all you needed. All you needed to get you on the path to doing better was somebody to say, hey, there are better tools than the ones you have right now. And at the moment I stepped into an endocrinologist's office, my endocrinologist was like, do you want to join our team? We need you yeah. because my doctor and my nurse practitioner are both um, women of color. And they're both like, we need you because there are so many people that don't know that they can better manage to live their most optimal lives. Yeah. So they're like, we need you in this space. So that's um, a few years ago. I have made a post on uh, the Juice Box podcast Facebook group about uh, taking the steps to becoming certified diabetes educator. Mm-hmm. And I started that process during the pandemic. I, I, I paused that and started doing a MPH program because I saw that it wasn't diabetes that I needed to help navigate through. It was more of a public health yeah, it's crisis. Right. Yeah, if you know how to get people to services, then you can do that in every space, not just in a diabetes space. I didn't know you were trying to get an MPH. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Good for you, man. That's terrific. How many kids do you have? I have three kids. Um, They are, well, my oldest is about to be 15, November 23rd. My daughter will be 13, November 10th. And my nine-year-old, his birthday is in February, February 6th. That's beautiful. Congratulations. That's lovely. They're the best. and. You know, you, you raise two, two wonderful children. And I tell my children every day that um, we prepare to take over and to, to take on the world. Like, my kids are absolutely amazing. Mm. My, my oldest, he has 
highly functional autism, Asperger's. Okay. You're 15 year old. Yeah. Something we've recognized since he was younger. So he was diagnosed with like ADHD and stuff. But so with him, mom and I are practicing to be able to somehow support him into adulthood because we know that he's going to need more resources or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, My daughter, she's just like this live wildfire who's ready to take over the world. She's like, she already, she's in seventh grade, but she already knows where she's going to college. She already knows where she's going to live. She already, like, she knows everything. Yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't know the steps in between. (laughs) Yeah. I'll still figure that part out. (laughs) My my nine-year-old, he's considered a child prodigy. He is the absolute smartest, most brilliant person that I know. Like, serious, Scott. Like real academic, or is it very like just aware of the world? Academic world, everything. If I asked him, or if you said to him, mentioned to him any animal, he could tell you where, like, uh, its adaptation, its nation of origin, all of those things, uh, chemicals, uh, biology, oh. plants, huh. um, world history, anything cultural, world history. Like, he could tell you about every dynasty, anything. Very curious, knows about the things that he reads about afterwards. That's very cool. It's excellent. Yes, and his math skills, like he's been, like we've been talking to him and other people have also about skipping ahead and whatnot. He's like, I will never ever skip a grade because I need every every grade. He's like, he loves education. He loves his schooling. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Wow, how long have you and your wife been together? We've been together since 2010 so yeah very nice that math doesn't add up with your oldest yes because um i actually took march 24th 2010 his biological father was was murdered oh my gosh like in front of his home and my wife and i like i said previously like we worked together since 2006 mm-hmm. and I mean, we were, we've always been cool and like close or whatnot. So I remember telling her during that time that um, she was going through the storm, that I would be there to help her and her baby make it through. Oh, really? And your wife's son, her oldest, your oldest son is hers from another relationship. And that gentleman was murdered and you stepped in and helped her yes and that's and how you guys got together after being friends yes uh, yeah um, i've never and he, and just the other day i got a call from his school because he like i told you the asperger's like he wouldn't take off his hood or whatever mm-hmm. and i showed up at the school and a guy who knows his uncle his biological uncle like as we're leaving he goes Man, he's like, you're doing a great, uh, awesome job. And I said, what do you mean? He said, because you stepped up. I said, I did not step up. And he's like, but you did. I said, that's my child. Yeah. 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 I'm the only father he knows. Even though, like, I, I, I make sure that he knows about his biological father. Mm-hmm. He has a relationship with his grandmother and his uncle and stuff. But um, I told him, like. I'm not just I'm filling doing, in. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing yeah. with 
a father does for his children. My brother's a stepfather to two kids, and there's no way to discern that he's not their their father. He he doesn't think about it that way. He doesn't talk about it that way. None of his actions would tell you that. It's really... um, it's a, it is, it is, and it's, it is a wonderful thing, you know, but I, I take it from your point. You don't see it as a stepping mm-hmm. up. You just see it as this is how it is. Cause that's my son. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's my, that's my oldest. That's what I told him. I said, that's my oldest. Yeah. And he's, and he shook my hand was like, I appreciate you. But Willie, you're yeah. just, you're just a different person, man. Like it's like, that's what I was telling you. Like I've always been this person. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's not something that, um, it's not fabricated. It's, it's I mean, like, like my iconic hero was Tupac Amor Shakur, and he was the realest. He never held his tongue. He always he was he was trained in political warfare, political climate, but at the same time, he was innate to his community, his upbringing, those types of things. Yeah. And I'm deeply rooted there. Whether you're not giving yourself enough credit though, like like Willie, the other night you sent me an image. My my mom passed away this year, and uh, when I realized that that was going to get around the internet, I kind of got ahead of it by putting her eulogy, know. you know, up on the Facebook group because I I realized I'm like people are going to know, and then it's going to be a thousand questions, and I thought maybe I'll just keep them all in this one post so that it doesn't get overwhelming. But I used a, an old photo of my mom that I actually have hanging up behind me when I when I make the podcast and the mm-hmm. other day you sent me out of nowhere, you're recreating the picture in a painting. And I don't like, that's beautiful. I just, I mean, I can't tell you so many people have done nice things for me over the years, but that was stunning and absolutely lovely and unexpected. But when I saw it, if anyone else would have sent it to me, Willie, I would have been like, what's happening. But when it was you, I thought this completely checks out. You, you just have such a big heart and I've never met you in person. And I know that to be true. Scott, that's my gift to you because um, I don't think you know the things that you do. Well, I know you know, but the impact and influence. I just wanted to give you your flowers. Never in a person's lifetime do they ever think that uh, the influence from experience they share will become impactful. Mm. Your life truly is, is meaningful and the things you do are important and impactful. Thank you. I, I don't know what else to say, but thank you. But I, I really do appreciate it. <laughs> it is hard to know. When you're doing something, it's hard to know who it's reaching. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like even doing that that in-person thing. I've done a couple of them recently. And it's, you look out on the crowd and you realize like all of these people listen to that podcast. It's crazy to me still. You know what I mean? Because I'm isolated when I make, I'm in a room. Like I'm just in a small room with some equipment and, and doing this thing. And if I don't get that feedback, I'm left to just imagine that it's going well. Like I, you, you wouldn't know this, but last night I poor Isabel, Isabel helps me with a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor Isabel endured about 45 minutes of like self-loathing texts from me about how I'm not doing well enough and I'm not growing the podcast fast enough and I'm letting people down. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, I just had a moment where I was like, uh, I, I could be doing more with all this. And you know what I'm going to say about that? Look back at 2015. No, I know. I know. But it's hard to when you're when you're in it, like when you're in it and it's it's like, wow, we I think we're going to do maybe five, six million downloads this year. 
And we did like four and a half last year. And I think that's not a very big leap, four and a half to six, which is ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous, Willie, don't worry. But every once in a while, I don't want to call it pressure because I don't feel it like pressure. But that feeling that I know I have something and I've seen it help this many people. Why am I not reaching more people? How come I can't find a way into a black and brown community? Like, why am I like, why am I? It feels like. Do you know what I mean? It feels like you have the answer and you can't get it to the people with a question. I think everyone that does uh, this type of impactful work think that way. Yeah. Like every every day I'm helping someone navigate. So like even like I've created a hub where I get supplies and I reach and like if I see someone there in need, mm-hmm. like I'll share these supplies with them. Like I had a mom two weeks ago drive up from Cherry Hill area to meet me in a parking lot in Newcastle, Delaware, so that I can give her daughter some some insulin. Oh, that's so lovely. Like and you're kind of creating that network where you can actually help people. Right. Yeah. Like that's what we have to do because uh look, I have like I told you about my cousin who's a type one diabetic, but everything that I do is to make my grandmas proud. Like I, I look at them all the time with the visions that are secured in my head. Because in 2003, during that traumatic experience, my grandma was diagnosed with cancer. Oh. Going through her treatment, she was diagnosed with diabetes. I remember her at the time even being more advanced than me. She was using Lantus because I, I remember going over to her house and she had a box of them. She was using Lantus and uh, I want to say Humalog at that time. And they said that her diabetes was um, onset from her treatment. And then this past year, I had me and my brother, I think like Thanksgiving of last year, we started looking into our family ancestry. And the one person we wanted to look into was our great grandmother, because even my parent, my grand, my mom and her sisters and brothers never met her. She passed in 1954, my great grandma, Viola. OK. And we were always told that um, she had a indigenous upbringing, that she was a native woman. Um, I want to say of the Susquehanna Hawks um, and that she was abandoned as an infant. And she was taken in by a family in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So I look up her death certificate because my grandma was only 19 when she passed. Mm-hmm. And they always said that Viola passed from, um, they said that she had became real, got, was frail, thin, and um, like she was dehydrated and whatnot before passing. Yeah. So I look up her death certificate. And Scott, you know what it reads? That's diabetes. It reads... Viola was tended to from January 19th until February 3rd by a nurse. It says it says she became frail thin. She was always small. I was told but she became frail thin. And on the death certificate, it reads death due to acidosis. Mm. What year is this? 1954. Before they should have known what to do by that. And they lived in a rural area. Yeah. You know, the um, the Egyptians, they think, called diabetes the great drain because they right. believed you urinated yourself to death. Right. Yeah. That's a similar description, honestly. 
Yeah. So yeah. Wow. a lot of the things I do, I always look and say, I just want to make my grandma proud. Yeah. I mean, Viola didn't have the best upbringing. She, I mean, she was abandoned as an infant, mm. but um, she was raised by a great woman, just like just like yourself. Oh. Yeah. And she raised my grandma, who was a great woman. I think about that all the time. That I'm just, you know, when when somebody you know gives you up for adoption or abandons you or whatever, you, you you're just left up to it's randomness at that point. Like who who lands on you and helps if if anybody, and. uh hard not to see my mom at the end of her life and realize that, you know, just this thing of her wanting to have a baby, this lady in Pennsylvania, you know, is, is the reason where I, you know, why I grew up where I did and how I did and all the little things that go into who you are. And it just, it's random. Like the, the next person could have got me like they, it was actually really the adoption agency called my mom and dad and told them, if you want the baby, you have to come today or he'll go to somebody else. But there was um, and she raced to get you. Yeah, but there was incredibly bad weather, not normal for the the area. It was a, there was a hurricane, and and my mom and dad like fought through that and got to me anyway and grabbed me because they said if you don't come today, he'll go to somebody else, and that's just you know like even that little decision because you know you never know somebody could say well it's a hurricane that's scary we'll wait for the next baby it, you know it could be that easy so. Yeah, I've always thought about that. And it's nice that you're thinking back on those people and still trying to be a representative of them. It's really nice. They needed you and you needed them. I hope so. I, I hope I helped them somehow, you know? Yeah, but I have the same, dude, I have the same feeling you do. Like, I very much want to help people. I know about that joy that you're talking about, about how it fills you up when you when you do that for somebody. It's uh undescribable everyone should try it if they haven't uh right. yeah re- really and, really good and when i hear about people saying they're like they're going through diabetes burnout or whatnot like i did go through a burnout when i transitioned from a from um mdi to a pump mm-hmm. but that was about it because um the community that i built and how i help people that alleviates any stress for me like it feels good like it, it yeah. actually like it feels so good yeah, I don't know how to, I, I mean, I guess people learn it in their own time. Hopefully they, they mm-hmm. come across it in their life. But, I, and, I, and well, you know, like I, I talk, I'm pretty honest here. Like I'm not a religious person, but being in service to other people mm-hmm. is incredibly filling. It, it, it very much helps you. I usually, the way I usually say it on the podcast is you guys might not believe this, but this podcast helps me way more than it helps you. So, um, and I think right, that. And, I, and I've listened to every single episode, many five five times over thank you and i know you've seen like like i've shared many episodes but uh i, I never spoke about how, how i found you I, I know we're winding down the time you're fine go ahead the way i found you scott was um again during the pandemic i, I was listening to a few podcasts and i'm trying to during the pandemic you keep seeing all these things pop up about diabetes and the virus and whatnot. And I said, I need to buckle down. I got to do everything I can to make sure that I'm, I'm going to be here for my children, for my family, for my wife, for life. I did a Google search of podcasts and diabetes. And you know what came up first? I hope it was me or my SEO sucks. I hope- <laughs> Come on. You, you know what came up first. I mean, you know, some say you're top 10 medically, but I say number one in my heart, Thank like you. for real. 
So yeah, it came up and I started listening. I took a break <laughs> for about two months. And then like I began, I started, I started going on these walks with my pup and on these walks, I would just plug you in, tune you in and started from episode one. And I went through every single episode because I just wanted to, I like seeing the involvement evol- of yeah. people and I just, I can, could hear you reaching more. Um, getting more articulate in your speech and how you were able to break down things, but it's, it felt good knowing how it started naturally. Mm-hmm. And I know today because of the algorithm pumping and whatnot, like it's less technical when it comes to like management. And I've heard this like throughout the podcast, but knowing the incremental steps you took, the measurable steps you took to help people, like I knew that this guy was real. Like you're, you're, you and Arden did something for this world that one day she will recognize right now. She's living her best life as she deserves, mm. um, but she will recognize it one day. And I am sure you recognize it with the 20 million plus downloads. It's impacted uh, me. I, I feel it now. I, I didn't before, like before I, it was hard to accept, but I'm okay with it now. And, um, that's the wrong phrasing. I, maybe it's not, maybe I do, maybe I accept it now. And, um, it's just, I don't know. Like, like I said, it just, now it just feels like an imperative to reach more people and, and to, to move on. And I take your point by the way, about watching me evolve in it can kind of give you the feeling like, Oh, I could evolve through this too. And yeah, it's a leading by example thing. Not, you, you know, it's funny, really. I, this person probably doesn't know their, I'm not going to mention them by name, but I, um, somebody, please no one else do this, but somebody reached out to me recently and I was doing like an ask me anything on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And this one person was like, would you listen to my podcast? And I, and I did. And then I, you know, we spent maybe an hour on the phone afterwards and I gave, gave her my feedback about it. And the one thing I kept telling her was, is you have to stop explaining your story and just tell it. You just tell it. Yeah. And like, I, I, I said, like, you're telling me why this is an important story. I said, if it's, if it's a well-told story, I'll know it's important when it's over. Like you don't, there, there will be a continuation of it. Yeah. You don't have to tell me. It doesn't have to be repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And, and I got a nice note back from her and she's like, that was really great advice. And she's like, I think it might be good advice for my life as well. And she started talking about how she finds herself justifying herself sometimes. And I said, oh, that's exactly it. I'm like, you're explaining to me why it's okay that you tell your story. Just tell it, you know, and um, that's something that I've learned, like making the podcast that, you know, you put yourself out there and, and it's, it's picked up by the people who, who need it or want it. And for those who don't need it or don't want it or don't like you for whatever reason, that's fine. Like just, it's not meant for everybody. It's meant for the people that will intersect well with it. Right. Yeah, it's just it's and, a lesson. And I'm not uh, into, like, uh, I always mention reinventing the wheel. So even before I, I searched for your podcast, like, I had some people lined up that I was going to record with because I was going to create a podcast. Mm-hmm. And then once I found yours, I said, I'm not reinventing the wheel because this is amazing. Like, this is the need. And I'm going to continue to share this with everyone. Thank you. Like, 
It is true. I heard somebody say it. Who was I listening to the other day? I don't know. I forget. They were talking about businesses and how hard it is once someone has the momentum. It's almost impossible to take it from them. And and I do think that sometimes I see people going out there and doing something and they have all this desire to help. And I'm like, don't beat your head against this wall. I got this. Like, like, I don't I hope that doesn't sound terrible, but like I'm dominating this space. You you can't get into it now. Like I have the momentum. And it's um not that you shouldn't try if you want to. I'm not saying that. Like absolutely do. I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from doing anything. But if you really have this heart to, you know, help, there are probably avenues that are better suited for you that you'll have a better opportunity of getting into. And I, that probably sounds pompous, but trust me, it, it's not. Like you're not going to like if you woke up this morning and decided you wanted to make an electric car, you're too late. Tesla did it. Like they they did that already. So put that effort into something where you can really like shine is kind of what I mean. It's a weird thought and maybe only a few people get to have that perspective, but it is very also just incredibly intelligent of you to like have that thought. Like seriously, you right. you you I love you, man. Like you're fantastic. <laughs> So it's fully understood. No, man, that's that's just the exact right thought to have in that situation. I'm going to do this. Well, somebody's doing it already. How am I going to how am I going to break through? I don't know. Some people might hear that and think, no, try anyway. And I'll get old one day and one of you will do it. But like, you know, in the moment makes a lot of sense. That probably sounded terrible, but I I really do believe that. So, look, I I know where I come from. I'm not from a place or a town where everything is uh, available for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I come from a disenfranchised community of black and brown people. So I know that it's harder for someone on the outside to reach in. But like when I first heard your voice and realized, like I said, I got a connection with this guy. I said, because he's from the Philly area mm-hmm. and I spent most of my life in the Philadelphia area. So, and I know that when it comes to like cultural barriers, if you can make it in Philly, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, that's true. Like, you know <laughs> that, like just walk in the streets, like whether you're in Fishtown, Center City, like anywhere. Like, I remember saying on this podcast once, if you want to know what it's like to be from Philadelphia, imagine you're walking down the sidewalk and you fall over. First, mm-hmm. everyone's going to laugh at you and then they're going to check to make sure you're okay. And then if you're okay, they're going to break your balls while you're walking away. <laughs> it's like if you can, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, if you can live through that, you'd be fine, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful area. I just I know somebody who's getting ready to move here now who, you know, is from the south and said, you know, I really am attracted to Philadelphia. I'm going to move up here. I was like, hey, you should. Like it's um I think that for 5 seconds back when media was very focused on just a certain few things, we got hit pretty hard because somebody did throw D-sized batteries at Santa Claus in an Eagles game one time. And I think Ugh. that were <laughs> snowballs or something like that. I think that, you know, gave everybody a bad taste. But maybe even with sports, that's going to change now. Because all of a sudden, you know, if you're a professional baseball player, Philadelphia is one of the places you want to play now. And True indeed. Yeah, and the Eagles are fantastic. And you can see those guys bringing in other guys. You know, uh, you know we just... The Eagles just picked up a safety from what Tennessee the other day mm-hmm. and came up here. And, and what did, what did AJ Brown tell him? Like when he got there, he told him like, Hey, you're a winner now. 
Like right, like, and that's the vibe that's around Philadelphia sports, not the Flyers. It's that, it's that yeah. Rocky mentality. Yeah, but it finally exists in a way that people see it instead we're of all winning. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Exactly we got, right. We got rid of we got rid of James Harden another day. We're all winning. I <laughs> Willie, I can't tell you. I woke up and James Harden was gone, and I was like, "Oh, thank God," because <laughs> it was too much going on about that conversation. When like, let's just move past it seriously just that guy the minute we got him i was like this is gonna end poorly like it's mm. like it's like when you see your buddy dating a girl and you're like man that's gonna end with your shit on fire in the street like, like and, and, and I, I told my brother that and he's like he's gonna be this he's going i'm like no, no. Yeah. my son did the same thing he's like no he's great two years later my kid's like oh thank god <laughs> i was like yeah uh, yeah no james harden's a hot girl who burns your clothes at the end that's exactly what he is look, look. <laughs> He's, 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 he's something different. Yeah, no kidding. That's hilarious. He's something different. Um, He's become a persona that can't nobody meet. Mm, no. Yeah, and, and interesting enough, when he decides to and he turns it on, you think that's one of the best basketball players on the planet. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And he's, then, he's, he's very, very gifted. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, all right. Uh, are we covering everything that we wanted to? I want to make sure we're not missing anything. Look, I, I had a bunch of things. Yeah, uh, I have I have some notes, um, some bullets. But um, for the most part, yeah, uh, we didn't delve into. Um, I do have some some complications. Well, I wouldn't consider them really complications. Like I don't have any diabetes related complications. But uh, talking about the pandemic, twenty twenty, I caught COVID like that early. Uh, so I went two years without catching COVID mm-hmm. until two thousand twenty two, um, July thirtieth. Me and these dates, I'll remember them all, and. After that, I started getting this crazy brain fog Yeah, where I couldn't remember, like, from point A to point B, what was I doing? And coming from knowing that I had this superior memory, like, I, I had to, like, really, like, look into, like, what's going on. Scary. Yeah. And, um, like, I was diagnosed previously. Like, I had the hypo, I have hypothyroidism also. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've got my levels below two. Nice. On top of that, like I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia because I've always like I've had I have this chronic pain, especially at these different points, like my knees, my back, my shoulders. Look, I went 12 years with being told that I had um, torn rotator cuffs, getting injections or whatnot. Come to find out I had um, frozen shoulder, shoulder, frozen shoulder many times older. Yeah. Calcific tendonitis. Uh, So I had to start seeing a physical therapist for that. I have RLS, which is restless leg syndrome, mm-hmm. polyarthralgia, which is a chronic arthritis. I've been tested for RA, but it's it always comes up negative. Yeah, well, you got to be careful. That RA thing, you can come mm-hmm. up negative and still have it. It's um, right. And you are describing it. Maybe they're calling the, f- the RA fibro. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. Possible, but um, like when they connect, they connected it with the. Uh, Neurolo- neurological indifferences okay. and they're like it seems more like fibro if not fibro so i have a uh appointment with a neurologist in march to get screened for ms really yes do you think that's possible i do how come how do, what are you seeing it's it's more like the, the brain the main reason why i continue to do as much as I can in the community is because 
I have to put it out there before it goes away. That's why I finally decided I needed to be on a juice box podcast is because I did not want to lose the gift that I have of giving your, you your flowers, sharing insight and education. I did not want to lose that in my brain before I was able to put it out there. Um, even though they say things such as fibro and MS that they say it doesn't get worse. It just, it's it, the it's just there. Still. Yeah. I, I, see, I've always wondered because you were one of the people I've been trying to, like I've been saying forever, like you should come on the podcast and like right. you're always like, no, no, there'll be a time. There'll be a time. I never knew what that meant. I don't pry. Like, you know what I mean? Like I figured you had mm-hmm. your reasons. But I'm thrilled that you that you wanted to. I just remember you like coming at me one day and you were like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the podcast now. I'm like, I'm gonna mm-hmm. use that link and get on. I was like, Oh, great. That's fantastic. I didn't know this is why though. That's kind of yeah. it's, it's, it's a little sad when you're telling me. Yes. But but um I have a friend, a close friend in the diabetic online community, and um she's always like, That's your guy, you gotta get on there, you gotta get on there. So I sent her a message the other day and I said, I'm getting on. And she was like, for real? She's like, okay. Like, <laughs> I'm like, excellent. yeah. Like, oh, I'm so happy. No, I'm thrilled you're yeah. here. I really am. So when you go to this appointment, they're going to give you testing and they're going to tell you more about, about what maybe can be done or. Right. Right. So yeah. look, I, I have no fears, none at all. And I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. With the diet, it's better to be diagnosed than to just, yeah, sit there in a waiting, like trying to manage and figure out life. Yeah, Willie, thank you for saying that. Like, that's the thing that I it breaks your heart over and over again. And you've told you're telling the story for the last hour and a half of people who need help and just for whatever reason decide I'm just going to silently go down with the ship instead of like stepping forward and trying to like make things better for themselves. I just wish more people would would do that and you know have that opinion of like i I, there's got to be something out there i could do and and try and go after it like don't just give up the first time somebody says no there's nothing you can do you know like just really work towards it i do that with my kids and my you know myself and my wife like i don't give up like i started using that we go v for weight loss and right and And i look at you oh my god like look Look like yeah. what? What are you gonna say? Look, look, look at you, ready, ready to get out there with Cole and and catch that ball. Yeah, I can do it now. Hey, listen, <laughs> look, 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 it's not gonna knock you over this time. <laughs> well, now I don't weigh anything. Now my own might. But but no, like that's the like when I had that thought, I'm like, what's like? Why are people afraid? Like, I'm gonna try this thing. Maybe it'll make my life better. And and look, exactly. now it's it's ten months later, not even, and it is better. I weigh forty pounds less. I'm mm-hmm. like in a significantly better healthy situation. And, you know, people are like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, do you keep taking the injection? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. Like, I'm not, I'm not sitting back. Like I, I really thought about your dad when you started talking an hour and a half ago. And I thought oh, that poor bastard, like if he just had this pen I have sitting here, he mm-hmm. probably, but cause Willie, I haven't, I don't know what I talk about on here sometimes, but my brother has type two diabetes and he and I were just texting the other day, uh, seven, eight to a five, six on Wegovi, and mm-hmm. hasn't really gotten his diet together yet. He lost, right. he's lost like 35 pounds and his A1C dropped two full points. That's just insane. off of Wegovi. Just, well, he, he's Ozempic because it's type two, okay. but yeah, same, it's gotcha. the same drug. You same, know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's significant. 
And, you know, you, you say that out into the world and somebody goes, oh, I tried it. It made me nauseous. I'm like, yeah, don't like, okay, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But right. don't dissuade everybody else from thinking about it. And like, know what I say about that? Like, um, like how you said, well, your brother, like you, you tried it, your brother tried it and the things that it done to benefit you. Yeah. I look at the advent of insulin. I mean, we're in year 101. Mm. Just think of how it's going from original pork to beef uh, to regular. We got fast acting, ultra fast acting. Like, yeah, exactly. Like things, things change, things evolve to like medicine, science. Like they do things like that. We didn't think that were once capable. Right. Like these things are here and they're making lives better. Yeah. You need attitudes that say, Oh, what's that about? Let's see what that does. Let's see where that goes. Not, not the, uh, like, Oh, you want to lose weight? You should exercise. You think I didn't exercise? It didn't work for me. Sometimes you get influencers online and they're, you know, rock solid. And they're like, all you got to do is a sit up. And I'm like, yeah, I did a sit up. I'd never ended up looking like you. So I, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but I need this thing. And your point of what's going to happen next is huge. I'm texting last night with a woman who I don't think would want to be identified, but might come on the show eventually to talk about her like 13 year old daughter who doesn't have a lot of weight to lose or anything like that, but is a type one and was able to get Wegovy because she had a couple of pounds over whatever, you know, the, the chart said. So it got through insurance, but how about the kids barely using any insulin now and not seeing crazy spikes from food? Like, I think there's a world where you're going to see GLP medications on people with type two and type one. Type one. Yeah. And I think you're going to see it significantly shift, not just the community of health, but maybe the world's health. You know, I say that now, I'll sound crazy to people, but you might look back 20 years and go, wow, we don't have the same problem with food that we did 20 years ago because this medication came along. Help people's brains not be so like, um, you know, ravenous for carbohydrates right. and stuff like that. So look, made life less complicated. Yeah. And speaking of that, I did want to, as I give you your flowers, I wanted to give flowers to someone else. Please. My number one episode that I've listened to, well, there's two, 371 um, explaining type one. I've shared that with, it feels like thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Um, with you and Jenny, but there's another one. Uh, number 531, Mike Green. Oh, yeah. Wasn't Mike after, wonderful? After Dark Complications. Yeah. Mike pulled me in. I shed tears with Mike. Um, But Mike kept saying, like he, uh, as I rephrase, he kept saying, like, like he kept putting in a butt. Like, I've been through this, but it's not the end of me. Mm. I can do this still. Never give up. He, he kept on saying, um, there are better things out, better insulins. Uh, I wasn't given this information previously, but now that I have it, I know what I can do. And he was like, now parents of young children, they have these things like at their fingertips yeah. and they can use them now. He he kept embodying that, and it it like it spoke to me like 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 you said like like I've never been big into religion, church, or whatever, but impactful speeches where you can feel like someone is pouring their heart into it. Mm -hmm. Like I felt that from Mike, 
And I still feel that. So even in preparation of today, you know what I did this morning? Did you listen to him again? Scott, me and my pup, after I dropped my daughter off to school, got back to the house, put on his leash, harness, tuned in the mic. It's one of the best episodes of the podcast. It really is. He he did a favor for people with diabetes that they'll never appreciate fully. And maybe it sounds like you do, but he got on here and laid out his life and what and happened I, to him. And still, I believe he was the first after dark episode. He's one of them. He's up there. I okay. think the first one was drinking and then weed. Okay. And then I don't know where it went after that. I forget. Right. It, was, it was somewhere around. Yeah, there, but yeah. he was in the, he was towards the beginning of it. And he just, he's got a similar heart as yours. Like he really does want what happened to him to help other people. And, and, um, and, it, and it does. Yeah, no, it, it, it very much does. It's one of the hardest things about social media making the podcast is there is part of me who just every day wants to say, hey, you should check out this one and this one. But I know if you don't feed people new content, then your thing kind of withers away. So like there it's it's just it's overwhelming. So you pump out new content so that people have a choice during the week and hopefully they stay with the podcast. And then you hope they find their way back to stuff like that, because even the pro tip series feels like that to me. There's part of me that thinks I should just put the pro tip series out every day and that that might be the best way to handle it, except that's not how this medium works. So it's it's, you know, content, 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 and then mix in. Hey, don't forget about this. or You should go check out that. It's uh, it's hard to get people back to those episodes, but there's so many of them that are valuable, you know, for more than just sometimes it's just entertaining or I mean, how about that lady who talked about her kid being diagnosed on an airplane while they were like going mm-hmm. like from country to country like that's horrifying, you know, but yeah, Mike, Mike does a, a real solid for people with type one. And that was even harder for me because my friend's name was Mike. Mm-hmm. He passed away from type one uh, a number of years ago now. And to hear him, to hear another man named Mike and have to interact with him with his name. Um, it was almost like he was speaking to you. It was terrible for me. Like, it really was hard. And, you know, I don't bring my friend Mike up a whole lot because you know, his story is not mine to tell. And, you know, he's not here to tell it anymore. You know, he's just one of those people who didn't come along. He was he had everybody else's story. They put him on regular and MPH and they left him there forever. And he had a doctor who didn't help him and. He was standing up and moving forward, so he thought he was okay, except that entire time his body was deteriorating, you know? And then by the time he bumps into a doctor who says, hey, this is Novolog and this is Lantus, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's making himself low all the time. Man, he's got a story he told me once about crashing his car from a low blood sugar because they moved him from regular and MPH to fast acting but didn't really tell him how to use it. So he shot his fast acting the way he would have shot his regular and then got caught up in a conversation, then realized he had to go eat, got in his car. And the police reports of the crash are, he wasn't hurt somehow, but the police reports of the crash are horrifying. And um, he doesn't remember any of it. He fell out of bed from a low blood sugar, broke his arm, and then eventually ended up on dialysis. And, uh, and then eventually he had a heart attack. And that's all from not having the right tools. And you know what's crazy with that? Again, um, I have a I have a story uh, similar to that crashing a car or not knowing what happened, mm. crashing into a telephone pole. Oh, I bet. Now, you sound like you got low quite a bit. Yeah, 
And you're lucky to be all right after something like that happens too. And you and you know what changed that and made me put get on the route I'm on. My daughter, at seven years old, 2018. Yeah, could we purchase our house 2019? So yeah, um, my wife was at work and I'm at home with the kids. It's in the summertime. She finds me in the bed. I mean, in the bathroom, laid out. And my wife is trying to call and she's not getting getting me. So she rushes home. And my daughter at seven years old tells my wife, mommy, I don't know what I would do if I lost him. She's like, I don't know what I would do. She's like, I was so scared. And like when I came to her, my wife told me that my heart just dropped. Yeah. And I said, yeah, that was 2000. And, what did I say? 2018. Mm-hmm. So from that moment on, I opened up the books and figured out how am I going to live my best life Yeah, Good for, for myself first and for my family. Yeah, it's what it takes, man. I mean, it's one of the things I've learned talking to people over and over again is that it just it's just a very human thing. People take care of themselves for other people. It's it's very infrequently for themselves. So. um you know, and my friend didn't have kids and maybe if he did, I don't know, maybe he would have had that thought, you know, like I got to be here, but instead, you know, instead I'm left behind to tell you all that, you know, you gotta take care of yourself and you have to, uh, keep up with the times and you have to understand the tools that are available to you. And you need to know what diabetes can and, and is doing to you if you're not on top of it, because, you know, you keep on telling us because yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I hear, I hear, and I share that. Good. I appreciate it very much, man. Um, I, 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 you stayed very long with me. I appreciate that too. Oh no, thank you. I mean, you know, I'm going to take back what I said earlier. You ought to go record yourself. Just do it. You know, I could easily see you sitting down and doing 15 minute episodes where you just chat through your day about diabetes and and get it out into a you know into a community that I maybe I can't find as easily and um. You know, maybe you could maybe you could be that bridge there and um and get this information to people I can't find. You know. So Scott, look out for me on um World Diabetes Day, November 14th. Oh yeah. I have something that I'm releasing that I tell everyone that's a part of it, we're gonna take on and over the world. Nice. That's excellent. Where do, where will people find that? You can find it on Instagram, um at uh, my Instagram T1D artist. Mm-hmm. And everyone's going to share it. So I have a huge community that came together as I, I just reached out to people one time and they're like, I got you, Will. Great. Well, I can't wait to find out what it is. Actually, when I stop recording, I'm going to ask you and so you can tell me privately. Although, okay. Will, this will come out after that. So I know you want to just tell well, me. So um, you asked, how do we reach the community of people of color? Yeah. Um, well, black, brown community. So, I guess I am that link. Two previous years, two thousand one. I mean, two thousand twenty one, two thousand twenty two. On World Diabetes Day, I released a video of like fifteen people stating their diagnosis and things about diabetes. It was like twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. So this year, I said we got to change this up a bit. Because in this space, everything is looking the same. So 
I asked myself, I said, how many type ones do I know of color? And when I went into looking at like my followers and stuff and people I follow, I said, wow, I did not realize I had this, this amount. Okay. So I created this, this chat with people, with persons. And I reached out to each of them individually. I said, can you shoot me a 45 second clip of telling who you are, um, where you're from, um, how long you've had diabetes, uh, something you want to share with the world. And I got like 80 responses back. Yeah, that's excellent. And I created a video that has 50 plus people on it. Mm-hmm. And they're all sharing a bit of their story and how um, they're, they're basically telling people like you can live with this. Um, some people were stating the obvious facts of the complications, the risks, but it's more so about the reward of community. And we're going to release that on World Diabetes Day 2023 to take to take on and take over the world. Good for you. I would love to share that as well. And I would ask you to uh, put it in the in the group, too. And it's not just people here in the U.S. These people are from all over. Sure. Got people from the U.K., people from India. I even got some people from uh, the Middle East. I got persons from uh, that are actually going through war right now mm-hmm. along the Gaza Strip. Um, I told them, well, I'm going to hold off on their videos because uh, right now during this time, many of them are... Uh, basically fighting for survival yeah. and don't want to make their faces public. Right. Maybe. Don't, don't want to. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. I actually, behind the scenes, I've been trying to get supplies sent to that area. Um, and I'm not having a lot of luck with it. Um, I reached out to some people who I thought could come through and to gets up into those companies and the, you know, it's a pretty big machine. It's hard to, I, I think they say it's hard to turn the Titanic. It, it kind of feels like that sometimes. Right. You'll, to get you'll, you'll get so many different communities, organizations that say they're doing that, but yeah, until you actually see it there, you don't know if it's yeah. actually breached. Yeah, it didn't happen until it happened. So I, people are like, oh, yeah. I think we could do that. I'm like, great. And then you kind of don't hear back from them. And, you know, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm still trying on that one. It's, it's not easy to get anything to move. So when you get something accomplished like that, it's a big deal to get all those people to send their videos and to put them together and everything. People don't know, man, until you try to do something like this, getting content to people or creating something every day or every week, it's uh, it's an insane amount of time and effort. And even dude, if you're watching some guy on Twitch, like play a game, they're putting 50 hours a week into bringing that video to you. Like you don't, you don't realize it, but it's, it's tough. Hey, um, can I call this episode Hark to Heal? You can call it whatever you want, Scott, because that's what I feel like. If I'm not hard to heal, then you are too. Oh, you're very nice, man. You're you're one of the kindest people I've I've ever virtually met, Willie. I, I sincerely mean that. I, I appreciate you coming on the show and and uh and sharing all this with everybody. Thank you. I appreciate you, good brother. I know you do. Thank you. I think it was well worth the wait to have Willie on the show. Thank you so much, Willie, for coming on the podcast and adding your story to all the others. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G7, which now integrates with the Tandem T-Slim X2 system. Learn more and get started today 
at Dexcom.com slash juicebox. If you'd like to wear the same insulin pump that Arden does, all you have to do is go to Omnipod.com slash juicebox. That's it. Head over now and get started today, and you'll be wearing the same tubeless insulin pump that Arden has been wearing since she was four years old. Don't forget to check out Willie on Instagram at T1D Artist. Willie sent me this just after we recorded. I hope you enjoy it. I'm trying to think out of the box, but will it not stop? I was a kid for 20 years, and at the blink of an eye, all of that just stopped. And as I went from a boy to a man, I swear that winter was cold. I remember looking in the mirror like, damn, little Will, is this the end of the road? Because I done been through a lot, but I know this ain't the plot of how my story got told. So I switched up the gear, got my mind a little clear, got a little bold with insulin. It's crazy how that one phrase helped erase the fear. Had they to grasp and think fast and leave my past in the rear. Whether it was starting over or getting bolder, knocking this chip off my shoulder, I buckled down and got my mind clear. Jotted down some key points and added some more detail. Scott, for real, I don't think you truly know what you got here. And if anybody ever asks, I don't got to boast nor brag considering my past. But let me magnify and clarify. Benner, you the real deal. And not only is it stamped, it been signed, tagged, and sealed. Sincerely yours, Willie Streets. If you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, check out the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast type 1 diabetes, but everybody is welcome. Type 1, type 2, gestational, loved ones, it doesn't matter to me. If you're impacted by diabetes and you're looking for support, comfort, or community, check out Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. And get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.